the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. We've got about 30 seconds before the hour, 4 o'clock in Maine Currents. Let us take a quick look at the weather. This afternoon, the high was 41, low tonight 29, and uh, partly cloudy. Thursday, high 42, mostly sunny. Thursday night, mostly clear, low of 27. Friday, mostly sunny, 42. And Friday night, chance of rain, snow, then snow likely, the low of 31. Saturday, rain, snow likely, then rain likely. Stay tuned for Maine Currents. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture for Wednesday, March 29th, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. Our multi-partisan panel, recurring guest here on Maine Currents for more than a year now. It's actually been over a year. Has it been a year? Yes, yes, are with us again today. They are Renee Truss, Thomas White, Ken Gleason, and Tim Wilson. Welcome back, everybody. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you. They're they're here. (laughs) They're just being quiet. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about how their life experiences have affected their political beliefs and how or if they talk with others with different beliefs beyond this panel here. And after we have a chance to hear from them, we'll be opening the phone lines and inviting listeners to call in and join the discussion as well. And I'm proud that we've never needed to enforce this, but I'd like to remind people at the beginning of all of these shows that we are keeping things completely civil. There are plenty of places out there where you can go for arguments about politics. This is not one of them. We are trying to keep things civil, uh, keeping in mind that we're going to be neighbors regardless of who the president is, who, what the government's doing. We all live here in this community together, and we're committed to keeping it that way. And for over a year we have. Here, and, here. Yes, and we want to keep, have the listeners that way as well. So regardless of where you're coming down on the issues, uh, if you feel like you just need to go after someone who thinks differently than you, please don't do it here. We're trying to keep things um, uh, – we're not being Pollyanna about it, but we really are trying to look at sort of solution-focused kind of uh, ways of looking at politics right now if there is such a thing. So starting with stories and getting to understand each other a little bit better, uh, Ken has agreed to go first. This is Ken Gleason, and he was a Hillary Clinton supporter back when we were talking about candidates, and he has agreed to go first and tell us a little bit about how he came to believe what he believes politically. Over to you, Ken. Great. Hey, thanks very much. Um, Well, I wanted to go (laughs) first because I can go back the furthest. And my my first political recollection is wearing an I Like Ike button in, what would that have been, 1952? So I would have been eight. I think I would have been eight or 12. I don't know. Anyhow, so uh, I wore that because uh, my parents were Republican and... Uh, and consistent Republicans their whole lives. Um, they, uh, I think my dad particularly uh, opened his mind to some other alternatives, but he he didn't change parties. He but he he didn't uh, he didn't talk a lot <laughs> about it. And um, I don't know what happened. My next political memory is. Uh, 
I had a friend in college who was active in the Young Democrats and was planning a trip to uh, Washington, D.C. to meet meet some people. And uh, so I joined the Young Democrats in college mainly to go on that trip because it, it, it looked like it would be very interesting and I, I like this friend a lot. So I did that and that that was interesting. Um, we met a number of uh, responsible people. We met a, a Hugo Black, justice on the Supreme Court. We met the guy who was head of uh, AID. Uh, we met uh, Katzenbach, who was working for, uh, I think, one of the Kennedys at the time. I forget. And, you know, I kind of come at this uh, at the personal level. I. I pay attention. I think this is part of the reason I can usually get along with most people because I, I kind of focus on who the person is. What feelings do I get about them? Are they, are they listening? Are they sincere? You know, s- stuff at that level. Um, and I'm not that sophisticated in all the details of policy and stuff. It's more kind of I, I tune in at a person to person. And these people that we met on this tour... You know, I came in there expecting, you know, kind of cynically expecting to find a lot of people that were, you know, fitting the stereotype of the Washington insiders or the Washington politicians. And I came away feeling, my gosh, these people are doing their best and they care what they're doing. And uh, I, uh, my cynicism was greatly damped down um, after that trip. So that was significant. And uh, what else? Uh, I guess during the Vietnam War, I I protested a little bit. I, I just I, there was silent vigils um, at noontime. I didn't do much. Um, but I guess that counts as political. I uh, I certainly thought the the war was a mistake. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in in school and have a have a deferment for education for several years, and then when my uh, when that didn't work any more, and I got a number, I had a low number in the in the lottery, so I I was not called up. And if I had been, I would have been a conscientious objector. But I kind of lazy. I didn't want to go through the process of doing that uh, enrollment if I didn't have to. What's next? And I'm not sure how long I should be going on here. But well, if you could just sort of say, you know, the, more than like your political experiences, how have your personal experiences led to your political beliefs, do you think? Do you have a sense of things about uh, your experiences outside of politics that led you to believe what you do believe politically? Um, all right. Well, let me just finish. I just had a couple more things on the history, and then I'll try and... Maybe try to intertwine those because we're about yeah. 10 minutes into it. Now. Okay. Um, essentially, somewhere in the last 30 years, I became uh, uh, an independent. I've been an independent for a long time, and I call, call myself a raving moderate because I I just – I'm impatient with both extremes or all extremes. Um I did uh, join the Democratic Party in the fall so that I could uh, vote in the primary for Bernie. Uh, that was my purpose because I, I, I thought he 
I mean, things have been pretty bad for a long, long time. And he was talking about he was he's real change. I mean, there's no question about he's real change, just as uh, as our president is committed to real change. Um, and I was for real change, and I uh, I really didn't have much confidence in uh, in Donald Trump as a change agent, and I so still can, don't. Can, but, can we get you to just kind of say a little bit about the question about yeah. what personally, and you don't have to if you don't want to, you can pass, but um, what maybe, do you think about your personal experiences that brought you to where you are politically? All right, I guess I'm not You've said tuning into your question here, am I? Well, let's let you think about it. I think Tim's okay, up good next. Idea. Do you want to address, good idea. address that, Tim? <laughs> I'm yeah. off the list. Are there things about Tim was our... Uh, Bernie, did you come in Bernie away. supporter right yes. from the beginning? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, ended up being a, in, involved with the Green Party. Yes. So, and you had been a veteran. Maybe that's yeah. part of your political... What about your personal experiences brought you to where you are politically? Well, I think certainly the whole Vietnam era for me kind of set the tone. For uh, you know, really wanting peace, not wanting a draft, watching people getting called up that didn't want to go to war, get killed, that was kind of rough uh, when I was in middle school and junior high and high school. Um, later on, I worked for Ross Perot twice as a volunteer um, and still believe strongly he could have brought about some really positive change. I've worked for libertarians at times because I strong, believe strongly in, in small government and, and then uh, – Ultimately, 2004, I ran a write-in campaign for president and walked to Washington, D.C. from Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> so I get to talk to people from all over the political spectrum. Um, and I like to say that, you know, I learn more from people I disagree with than people I agree with. Uh, that they, you know, having my ideas challenged is a, is a helpful thing in terms of my own political development. And I've had... You know, people screaming at me to get a job, and I've had people, you know, sicking their Doberman on me, and I've been was bitten by one dog while uh, out campaigning for for Aaron Herbig, and um, so you know, I've been active politically. I have always been an independent. I have never, in a general election, voted for a major party candidate, uh, and uh, there's really three reasons. And and the first one is peace. I have a long history. It's in my DNA. Uh, I, my we're Scottish by descent, and uh, I had a, a Scottish ancestor in 1600 who refused to carry a weapon into battle, so he carried a banner defaming the king. Um, because he wasn't carrying a weapon, he was arrested and jailed. He was jailed for four years, tortured and told to recant, and he wouldn't. Stubborn sort of person that he was. And was that story passed down through the generations in your family? Or it did is. you find out about it later? Wow. It is the Battle of Bothwell Brig is the name of it. And... Um, and then he had a wife and three kids who I can't imagine what she was thinking or what they were thinking. And uh, they said, well, it's one more chance. You can either sign this reclamation, you know, rec recant what you had on the banner or and swear allegiance to the king or you'll be beheaded in the morning. And he wrote out his dying declaration, which we still have, and he was beheaded. Um, my grandfather objected in World War II. Uh, he's a Quaker. And so... I think that whole DNA thing uh, got triggered, and peace is a huge thing for me. Um, and I don't believe that militarism leads to peace. And so it's uh, – I, I can't – And yet you're a veteran. I am a veteran. I am. No, I served in the Air Force. I joined right at the very tail end of the Vietnam War. I never went or anything. I just served in, in the Air Force. And, um, uh, and I – you know, at that time, the draft was still going on. So it was either you pick your service or if you had a high number, 
and you you know, or you get drafted and you go where they tell you. So I so opted to enlist in the in the Air Force rather than than uh, than face the draft. So um, that was really sort of my development. And then in this last election, uh, for in my opinion, both parties now are militaristic. Um, whether it's you know build more destroyers or and the idea that is that you know peace through strength has failed, it has failed utterly. Since 1980, we've been investing investing in peace through strength. We've spent 20 trillion dollars on war, just on war since 1980. And what's our national debt? 20 trillion dollars. What could have been done with that 20 trillion dollars? Um, it's amazing to think what this world would have been like if we had taken a different tack and said we're going to serve people instead of try to build Fortress America. So anyway, so anyway. The, well, the differences I'm hearing between the two of you so far before we move on to talk to Thomas and Renee, um, you were talking about being just uh, – uh, Ken Gleason, our, the first person who spoke, was talking about – having, I think you said, no patience for the for extremes of any kind. You First you said politically, and then you kind of expanded that out to anything. So there's something in your personality or, or um, whatever, your likes and dislikes about not liking extremes. And, Tim, you're saying you're giving a lot of examples of, of being sort of thinking out – I don't want to use the term thinking outside the box because that's kind of a corporate term, but of being um, – on my Twitter uh, feed, I say that I'm a free radical. A free radical. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, all right. Uh, did you did you want to add anything else now that you had a, a moment to think? Because I, I can or do. You... No, I'm enjoying what I'm hearing, and okay. I'll I'll squeak up later. Okay. Up. All right. And no one needs to say anything personal that you don't want that you don't want to say. But I'm just saying, in terms of understanding uh, how we got to this point better, some some stories about where you're from or, or how that it may have influenced you or, or like, you know, did you have a Scottish ancestor who was a renegade or whatever? Uh, Renee Trust is up next. Renee started out as a, uh, a Republican-leaning uh, libertarian. No, I, was, I was a libertarian-leaning Republican. And then you swapped. And then I changed parties, and now I'm a registered libertarian who, um, you know, does Republican things sometimes. And, um, but she insists on having independent inserted in there too. I guess you know. I don't know. I'm just you know. I'm just Renee. And um, <laughs> I wrote Good. something down this morning. I wasn't sure what to do with the topic, so I'm, I promise it'll make sense. Bear with me. I'm going to read it and then I'll talk. Okay. All right. So we have Starbucks and Green Mountain. We have the Dollar General and the jo- Dollar Tree. We have Walmart and Kmart, Delta and American, VIP and Napa, Rite Aid and Walgreens. Home Depot, Home Quarters, McDonald's, Burger King, Wheaties, Cheerios, HP, Dell, uh, Microsoft, Macintosh, Sears, and JCPenney. I mean, I can go on. Um, Kubota, John Deere, Tasty Freeze, Dairy Queen, Campbell's and Progresso, Del Monte and Dole. I mean, um, Ford and Chevy, Gmail and Outlook. I could go on and on and on, but um, I won't. You get the picture. Um, These are the reasons the U.S. is a world leader. Other countries admire us for this. They copy us. There are billionaires in communist China. Why? Because competition works. Name one aspect of human life where competition is not beneficial. When isn't choice a good thing? Presidential candidate Bernie Sanders campaigned on the virtues of single-payer health insurance system in countries like Denmark, Norway, Finland, Switzerland, and Sweden, who have populations of 5, 
1.558 and 9 million demographically similar people. Our great state of California has 39 million culturally diverse people, more than the other countries combined. We can have pro-choice when it comes to abortion, but not when it comes to our health care. I can't dictate your sex life, so why should you be able to dictate my health care choices? Our political and economic system surely isn't perfect, but it is responsible for taking mankind to new heights, and it's still the best system in the world. I became politically involved because I could see socialism creeping into our system. When I was a child, we worked at potato harvest. I bought my own school clothes. It taught me the value of a dollar. I became politically involved, involved about nine years ago because I had the best opportunities in the world and I want the same for my grandkids, not the insurmountable debt they had no part in creating. We are constantly being barraged by press, radio, and film about how diversity is a good thing. The only sensible, logical conclusion for single-payer health care is that those who are in favor of it are those who want to be in control of it. Back to my question. To the panelists and the callers, tell me one aspect of human life where competition is not beneficial. Okay, but that's that's not what we're going to actually ask the callers and the panelists to talk about today. Uh, what we're going to try to get at later is how we talk about politics with people who disagree with us. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. talking about it um, and trying to get away from raising all of these different issues, which I know there everybody around the table would like to weigh in on health care or weigh, weigh in on corporations or whatever. But we're not saying that people here don't have mm-hmm. opinions about those things. It, it's good, though, we're getting a little bit of an understanding where each person's coming from, especially if anyone hasn't tuned in before and heard all of you to know where you're coming from. But how did you get to the place? You said nine years ago. Something yeah, happened nine years ago. Yeah, I drove ago. to Washington, D.C. three times one year to protest the health care bill. And now, you know, they're trying to unravel something that we knew would be almost impossible to unravel. What happened nine years ago, though, that you suddenly got political? You, the rest of your life before that, you hadn't felt like you were involved in politics very much? Not really. I voted in general elections. I, I didn't really understand why we kept get, having candidates that didn't seem qualified. I also voted for Ross Perot. He's about the only candidate I ever got excited about. So that was that was good news. Because that, he was something outside the mainstream? Yeah. Yeah. I got real excited about yeah. that. And um, yeah. and. I just, you know, never got involved on the local level or the state level or the, you know, the county level like I am now. But um, nine years ago, I was invited to a um, a Tea Party rally with my um, my brother and sister in law. Went to D.C. to this march, the nine twelve march, and I went along not as a participant but as a photographer. And um, when I came out of there, I was a Tea Partier. And I could see the the validity of the movement and the reasons behind it, and um, and I, you know, and then I I stayed in that movement. And um, it as, sounds like up to that, you didn't feel like in politics or something that you really could have well, any influence over. Like I said in what I in what I wrote, um, the reason I became involved is because I could see the socialism creeping in and taking away um, the opportunities that I had, you know, growing up. I had, you know, I've had the best opportunities in the world. I could have been anything I wanted to be. But these days, I don't think they have that choices. I mean, kids aren't even allowed to work anymore. I don't think children should have to work, but I think they should be able to if they want to. This was a big piece of my growing up, being able to 
Is um, of Roostook County? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm a county girl. I'm a Kennedy, by the way, just, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'm Irish, too, if that, if that mm-hmm. DNA thing has anything to do with it. Um, yeah. So that, that's a big piece of it, being able to, um, you know, be self-sufficient, be independent. And that's, that's how I came up. I'm a self-employed artist right now. I um I buck the system at every you know everywhere I go and somehow I'm getting by but um you know I don't fit into any boxes. Mm-hmm. I, I've never had um you know like with the healthcare thing I've never had the employer based healthcare. Um, so yeah. I don't know what else you could possibly need to know about me. I really didn't want to talk about myself at all. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you for doing that much. Yeah. And that leads us to Thomas White, who is uh, was our Trump supporter on the panel, still Trump supporter. Oh, yeah. We still got the red USA hat on, so yeah, I'm I guessing s- that's the signal. Switched it from Make America Great Again to the USA Thank You Tour one. So. <laughs> so what about your life experiences? Tell people a little bit about you as much as you're willing to share that brought you to where you are. You're uh, the chair of the Republican uh, College Democrats at Maine Maritime Academy. College still? Republicans. College Republicans, yeah. Yep. So, um, did I say Democrats? Yeah, you said Democrats. <laughs> so I just, yeah, <laughs> I just got, just got reelected <laughs> as the chairman going into next year as well. Um, but I was the founder and chairman at Maine Maritime Academy uh, for the college Republicans. So going back a little bit, um, first, if mom and dad are listening, thank you. Because um, honestly, I don't know how I got involved in politics at first, or, or had an opinion at all. Um, what? All I can really remember and look back at is, you know, trying to get my driver's license and mom and dad going, if you want the driver's license, you got to get a job. And you're not going for your driver's license until you have that job. And then uh, I applied to the local gas station, got the job, and I think it was like my second week driving mom's car. Uh, I, well, I had the got my license. And then second week with my license, I think I was driving back home, and I saw a red Jeep on uh, the side of the road for sale. And I was like, okay, I got a job. I got a license. I need, a, I need my own car. And I remember going home, and I said, Dad, I, there's a Jeep for sale. It's $1,000. I want it. And uh, what do you think? And he goes, well, I'm not paying for it. You can pay for it if you want a Jeep. If not, you can wait until your mom and I find some cash, you know, that we can scrape up and we can get you something else. And I said, no, I want a Jeep. He's like, well, I'm not buying you a Jeep. And I said, okay, well, uh, I want that Jeep. So I saved up $500, and Mom and Dad uh, were nice enough to loan me the other $500. And, uh, but I had to pay it back. We had a written contract. And that's really, looking back at that, that was me having my first responsibility. I had, I had a job. I had a license. I had... Uh, my schoolwork, I was A's and B's in school, and that was something that was taught. Uh, I went to a Catholic school, so I was instilled, you know, A's and B's. That's nothing nothing less than A's and B's. So I was very, uh, very fortunate to have parents that instilled the, those values in me of hard work and uh, earning what, you know, the end result. Uh, graduating high school is really when I started getting into politics. I mean, we... I remember uh, President Obama running, and I led the uh, McCain group on. We had a mock election and everything at school, and I led the McCain camp with a couple of my friends. Um, And that was just based off, like, the little exam that you do, you know, what candidate best fits you. And uh, we studied the issues just like every other uh, student at the time. 
But in high school, I started, you know, having more of an opinion, getting up in government class and everything. And then towards the end, I said, how do I get involved? This is this is fun. And about, I think, a month after graduation, I got a phone call from my friend's dad. And he said, Congressman Poliquin needs – or Bruce Poliquin, he wasn't congressman at the time, needs some help uh, running his primary campaign. So I put in my application, and around January 1st, I was a volunteer on the campaign heading into uh, the primaries, where that's when I started feeling comfortable, having my opinions, you know, meeting people, understanding, you know, what's going on, where, you know, how the system works and everything else, and traveling the state with uh, Mr. Poliquin. Uh, We won the primary against uh, Ray Richardson, and then we headed on to the general election against Emily Kane, and I started school at Maine Maritime Academy. And uh, Kevin Ray, Ooh, what did I say? Ray Richardson. Yeah. Oh, Ray Richardson was with. It was a three-way run. Ray Richardson, Emily Kane, and that's what it was for the general election. So there we go. Mix that up. Um, so when I got to school, because of the regiment at school that uh, at the time. I couldn't really be active in the campaign. I couldn't leave campus. I was stuck there. So I was like, well, there's got to be a way. And that's when I started the College Republicans on campus. Um, and now it's kind of just like, I don't know, it just kind of ran out of control. I'm on the radio now. I'm College <laughs> Republicans. I came back from D.C. Um, three weeks ago. For, I was at CPAC. So it's kind of kind of taken a life at its own. And I was talking to my girlfriend two days ago or yesterday, and I was like, She's like, you're going into a career in politics. And I said, no, I'm, I'm trying to get away from it. And it keeps following me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's my, my life, I mean, in a short, on how I got involved. Um, I think the gas station, though, that first job, I got to see work with people that were struggling, that were doing good, that were retired, that, was, that weren't, you know, just starting out. Um, and I got to, I understood a lot more you know, when it came to single moms, single dads, families, divorce, like, and the struggles that we all have struggles and we all are looking for some somebody to solve it. And a lot of people get annoyed at the system nowadays because it seems like nobody is paying attention. It, you know, the biggest thing we were talking about healthcare a second ago is I voted for Donald Trump this election, I voted for uh, the Republicans in my area, and it frustrates me to see that, oh, we spent three, two, two to three weeks on the health care bill, and now we're moving on to tax reform, and nothing got done. And that's, that's what, I mean, I feel like a majority of Americans are frustrated with. It's not, it's not the position, essentially, but the overall where government is at a, is at a standpoint. Nothing's moving, nothing's going. It's you know, and that's that's where it's getting frustrating. So, all right, well, let's let's stop that discussion there because we're about halfway through the program. I want to just remind listeners that you are listening to Main Currents on WERU. We've got our multi-partisan panel here. Thank you all for sharing your uh, political stories and reminding listeners who may not have heard you for a while and people who are just tuning in for the first time of where you're coming from politically. This uh, Most of the people on this panel have been meeting since March 2nd of last year, sometimes as much as twice a month leading up to the election, and they've managed to communicate well. They get here early and have coffee together. They stick around later and have conversations together. They have extreme political differences. Don't 
doubt that for one second, but they <laughs> they actually managed to communicate in a way that um, they still get along the next time they come in. So that is why I've asked them to talk about this next topic that I'm about to introduce, and then we'll open the phone lines. Um, Again, though, the panelists are, you heard first from uh, Ken Gleason, who is a Democrat. You go back to being an independent now. How do we identify you? You voted Democrat. Yeah, yeah but probably I should. I, I'm still registered as a Democrat. Okay. And, and, then, and then we have Tim uh, Wilson, who's a Green now. He's a Bernie Sanders supporter when we first started the panel. And, uh, and Renee Trust, who's some blend of Republican, uh, Libertarian, and uh, Thomas White, who's a Republican. And we uh, want to talk, shift gears now and talk about talking about politics, not the issues themselves, because any one of these issues that have been raised in here today, um, we could have a whole show on and we could argue about, we could do what they do everywhere else, and I don't know how productive that is. Uh, but what we want to do that's slightly different, um, given how divided the country is right now, um, wondering about... And the fact that some of the things that the country is divided on have actual life or death consequences. So they're not things that you don't have feelings about when you're talking about them. People feel really, really strongly about them. Uh, given all of that, politics seems to be divided into kind of two categories. There's the commiserating that we do with the people that agree with our the same position that we have. So we talk more openly. Um, and then there's arguing with the people that you don't. There's really doesn't seem to or avoiding it completely with the people that you don't agree with or the sense that you don't agree with um, when you believe the policy, the politics of uh, the quote unquote other side are a very real threat. Is it possible to communicate with them in any kind of useful way is the question that we have today. And if so, what are some examples of that? Is there even such a thing as finding common ground? anymore or are we doomed to live in a world where every four years one side defeats the other side and that side gets to just kind of put whatever they want on the side that lost until that side rises up and then takes over are we doomed to just kind of back and forth uh uh putting you know policies the other side is diametrically opposed against on the other side um and, and you already heard Renee pipe in, no, I'm thinking probably there's uh, other people in this room who think not, too. So I've asked the panel to kick off this discussion because, like I said, most of them have been joining me here for over a year and getting along. Uh, and you don't get to see some of the friendly conversations that they have before and after the program. So we'll have, ask them for some examples of how and why they've been able to communicate with each other and maybe outside of here with other people in an effective way about politics and also when you know that you just can't when are times to not do it and also at this point i'll open the phone lines and invite any listeners who'd like to join in with either your story of how your personal experiences have brought you to where you are politically if you can tell them um, kind of briefly so that we can get more callers in and also any positive examples you have we don't need any more stories of people fighting about politics because we've heard those but if you actually can describe any kinds of interactions you've had or some ideas that you have for interactions with people who have completely different beliefs that have been productive. We'd love to hear those stories. The number here is 469-0500 if you're local, 469-0500, or you can call toll-free 1-866-625-9378. So why do you think that you all manage, you all, I, you know, when I first started doing this, I thought that, uh, that you'd 
people would just run out of here at the end. And I really anticipated a lot more fighting than we've ever had. And we've had a few changes with the people in the room over the months. But for the um, but I don't think we've ever had any major blowouts among the people on the panel. Why do you think that is? Thomas, you're right up on the microphone. You go first. I, I didn't want to lose my train of thought there. Um, the biggest thing that you you said when you were opening it up to this topic, looking at it as a threat, um, that's that's the wrong approach. If you look at somebody as a threat just because they have the different opinion, you're never going to meet in the middle. You're never going to find common ground. You're never going to move forward. Um, I think both sides want to move forward, yes, different ways, but um, at the end of the day, it's the same goal. Uh, we talked about that a little bit before. Um, it's funny because when I got to Maine Maritime Academy, I thought, you know, oh, cool, there's no there's no political groups on campus. You know, I'm the, you know, now I'm the founder and chairman of the College Republicans, but there I'm, I was on campus this election cycle, and I'm like, you know, this is it's kind of boring, like, I, you know, nobody, nobody's there challenging me, making, you know, making sure. There's no sure. college Democrats. There's no college Democrats. And since I've been there, uh, I'm heading into my senior year next fall. And I have, I have asked several students, I have uh, held meetings trying to get a college Democrat group going, even though I'm the head of the college Republicans, because when you have two sides and you get to communicate like we have been, you get, you learn, number one, about why you believe that way. Um, and number two, it challenges not just you but them as well, and you, you grow off. You get to grow, and you may change your opinion a little bit, or you may realize, you know what, this, no, this is why I believe this. This is, this is the reason. So it helps, you, it helps you grow your opinions, and you, you become more um, educated on the issues, and I think that's the biggest thing. You've got to look at it that way. If you look at it as a war or a threat, you're never going anywhere, but if you look at it as this is helping me grow as an active citizen in society and together, you know, we're going to move forward, then you have a lot of room to talk. And uh, if, if you can keep it like that, then it's going to be a civil conversation like we have the last couple uh, months. Yeah. And competition is good. Competition is good. <laughs> Ken? Yeah. Um, very similar to what Thomas said. I think the thing that helps me is I, you know, I'm, again, I'm focusing on the people. And I'm focusing on the fact that I think we share a sincere, you know, the underlying goals and values are probably very similar. We care about uh, things being fair. We care about uh, our families and relatives and, you know, having having a good opportunities. And, uh, you know, so that, that sense of looking for the underlying values uh, is important to me and, and – that, by the way, got emphasized a lot when I took the uh, nonviolent communication workshop a year ago, the one that's actually being offered again this weekend to benefit uh, the radio station by Peggy Smith. And that's, that's an. We did not pay him to work that in there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful procedure for, you know, helping people to talk to one another and get and resolve conflicts. In a in a nonviolent way, um, and and it definitely is applicable to political things. And I and I I, I think they're uh, quite interested in having some sessions that that are directed at at you know coming together after the after the uh, the last election. 
Tim, you wanted to say something to I did. <clears throat> I think first, I, I agree completely with what Tom has said. <clears throat> I think we're, uh, we're, we're approaching this as an opportunity to learn. Um, the other thing is uh, all, at least three of us on this panel have moved politically. One's yeah. moved Republican towards Libertarian. One's moved Independent to Hillary supporter. One's moved Independent to Green. So all of us have shifted. In, well, in, and Thomas is just very young as well, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. so, he hasn't had time, time to shift other than his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other thing is that I've never really – changed any mind, anybody's mind or, or had my mind changed by somebody shouting at me. Mm-hmm. What helps me is information. And so, on, at least in my political conversations amongst my family, I have a lot of Republicans in my family, very strong Republicans, as in doing commercials for LePage um, and uh, public support and so on. So, um, you know, I try to listen to what they have to say <clears throat> and offer a different point of view and then if that seed takes root, great. And if not, oh well. It was, you know, move on to the next planting. So you've had you've had some successes then talking with family members with completely opposite viewpoints. Well, yes. I mean, I, I think that I think they think about things. I'm not sure that it changes the political. There's a lot of things that are involved in politics. I mean, I think if people get their personal identities attached to things, if you take a very public stand, then you're committed to something i mean that's and you may think about something privately but you know if you're committed i mean what do you think made that work i mean is it because the people that you were talking to you had a strong enough relationship that they would hear you out or are there other factors at play in successfully talking because i know some families are just from, avoiding subjects so that they don't have a civil war. From from my point of view, it's that I respect them. And they respect you as well, presumably. Uh, whether they do or they don't, <clears throat> that seems to work. I have a feeling they do. Well, <laughs> it's... <laughs> I just do. <laughs> Did you did you want to add to that, Renee? Did you, yeah. And anybody else too? I mean, I'm interested if we want to, if you don't mind staying on this thread for a little bit about talking with family members, because that's one of the things that, while in social situations, maybe people decide to just, you know, you can skip talking about politics. But within family, if you have big differences in your family, who else has had successes talking with? Family members that don't agree with your politics. Well, you know, I, I want to start out by saying that um, I I happen to be in a I guess a good position where um, I have a lot of friends that are you know ideologically opposed to me and you know very very dear friends people that I love very much many of them and um, we have um, Facebook fights and <laughs> debate and then you know I think you know oh boy you know. They're going to hate me, but then we'll see each other in the supermarket and hug immediately. So this, that's that's part of it, you know, loving people for who they are. And um, and and plus, I love hearing the stories going around the room. It's just you know, I just love it because that that um, gives me a little more insight into the person, the individual, and um, that that makes it easier for me to put myself in their shoes, which I think is is very helpful in talking with others and you know to know where they're coming from, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm psychic, but it, you know there are there are little telltale signs, and so um, 
And I asked you all to do that today, um, and maybe we'll do more of it if, at, a, at a future program, but in part so the listeners also would be able to put you all in context. Because when we first started coming together, we knew there were going to be a range of political expertise in the room. Some of you might be involved with parties and some of you might just be voters and somebody who cares about the issues. We weren't looking for people because they were, um, some of you ended up being involved with your parties, but that was incidental. It wasn't what we went looking for. It was more, we want to get a cross section of just regular community members in here to talk about in the lead up to the elections, what you're going to vote for and why. Um, And uh, we have Jennifer from Verona Island now on the phone to hear uh, what she has to say about all of this. Jennifer, welcome to Maine Currents. Hi, this is uh, Jennifer Reesler from Verona Island. Um, An interesting show, and there's a group that's been meeting for a couple of months in Belfast trying to do more or less this, bring together people from all across the spectrum. And the original mission was to agree on sort of a platform of being against state science and hate discrimination. And that platform's expanding a little bit. Um, so the next meeting of this group is on Sunday, April 2nd at 6.30 at Belfast. For the life of me, I can't remember the physical address. I know where it is, but I can't remember the physical address. Is it at the library? No, it's at Betty Street uh, office. Um, Having a little bit of a hard time hearing you, uh, Jennifer, but if you can email me this information, I'll put it up along with the archives of the uh, program, which will be up tomorrow or Friday. The email address here is news at weru.org. And because okay. uh, the, the panelists are kind of pointing at their headphones, indicating that they can't really understand what you're saying, unfortunately. Okay. But thank All you. Right. Thank you for calling. And that sounds like uh, from what I got from that, there's a group meeting in Belfast talking about similar things. And mm. we'll get that information out. If anybody else would like to join us, like we've got about 20 minutes left to the program. If you'd like to talk about how your personal experiences have influenced your political beliefs and or any examples you can give uh, or hints for talking with people who believe things opposite from you, especially when these are things that are so, I mean, if, if people believe different things about something that's inconsequential, that's no big deal. You know, if you, if you think, I, I don't even want to come up with an example because you know what I'm talking about and I'm going to come up with a dumb one. But when it's something really substantial that you think is potentially a life or death kind of thing, that can get really, really heated. So how do we keep the community together and not allow ourselves to be divided in us versus them kinds of lines? And the reason I'm asking it of these folks is these folks in this room have been doing this now voluntarily. I mean, I'm here because I work here, but they keep coming in <laughs> even though they don't have to. <laughs> right. And they keep showing up uh, in this what could be you know any particular time turn into a political fight and they don't and so so they're my role models for this thomas you start every show off um reminding us you know to be civil and because at the end of the day we're all neighbors um i think that's that's where you gotta that's the mentality you gotta think at the end of the day no matter what you're still neighbors you know if just because you have a disagreement on politics with somebody if their house is burning down you're not gonna not help right. them. I, I hope not. I, I mean, right. if if that's the case, then there's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, we're all neighbors. We're all Mainers. We're all Americans. And that's, that's the mentality. Um, everybody comes from a different walk of life. They all have their different struggles. Like we've, we've seen, we're all, we all have our different stories that put us in our respective 
uh, I don't want to say parties, but in our sort of in different camps, in, yeah. yeah, in our mm-hmm. different camps, demographics. So uh, if you look at it that way, then it's easier to talk, I, I think. Uh, and yeah, the 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 other thing, I know you said you wanted to talk about like the family part. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because I was on Twitter today and I was going through, and one of the uh, local news stations had a question out there about the college campus and the free speech and whether there should be free speech zones or not. And I know we're not going to debate that, but my my thing with that was was it was interesting because why we we should be encouraging talk. We should be encouraging free speech in a sense. There shouldn't be zones where it's allowed and where it's not. We should be able to uh, communicate with each other and throw ideas off each other and grow because without throwing ideas and growing off each other, there's no room, like I've said before, for progress. So I thought that was an interesting take because whether it's at the at the dinner table with family or if it's on a college campus, I, uh, work, work is a little bit, you know, tricky. You're not supposed to talk politics or religion at work, but, you know, whether in the in the places that you you should be able talking, it seems like today you're not. It's it's frowned upon to talk. Right. So that was that was one of the one of the things I just wanted to throw in there because there's there's a there's a uh, looking for the word. I don't want to say stereotype, but there's a problem with our society right now where it's frowned upon to talk politics. It's frowned upon to talk the issues, and that may also be. A problem when we just do decide to talk the issues, we're angry at each other because we're not talking about them enough. Well, and I think there's a lot of the division within media where you and it's selective realities. I mean, basically, there are sometimes complete different realities that people have. Uh, and depending, and there's more and more division between reading, subscribing to, watching, whatever media reinforces what you already believe. And so you may have a panel on there, but it will represent what they, you know, that media side is or take is on the issue. And it's rare that people come together. And I think it's rarer still that people come together and and don't argue. Yes. And I encourage, like, I I know for me, like, if you, I can pull out my cell phone right now and I have the little news folder and I have CNN, the Huffington Post, uh, I think it NBC. I have Fox News. I have all the apps, and I will read. I'll read a story, and then go to the next to the next news source and read their version of the story. Because, like I said, it's that bouncing of ideas. It's okay. I'm I'm reading it from that point of view. Do I support? Do I do I understand it? And do I want to switch my switch my view because you know maybe maybe I didn't see it like that and that's the way to go or did that just reinforce that no that's that's not the way I believe I see it. I believe it's this way so if you read other pe- people's point of views it helps dis- help distinguish your point of view better and that's I think that's the thing we have to as a society need to start uh, supporting and pushing so how open are all of you to uh, actually changing your mind is there something that anybody could say to any of you and i think i asked this question leading up to the presidential election but that uh new information that you could have a conversation with someone and there's something they could say that would actually change how you feel about something politically or are you pretty dug in ken gleason 
Well, the first thing I think about is, you know, I'm really looking for ways to make real change and to make real improvements and positive suggestions. And and that I'd be open, especially if it's something new, rather than, as you described earlier, just, you know, one party gets in and we're, we're just talking about the major parties. I like to get all the other parties to... And then they tell you they have their turn, and then the other party gets in, and, and there's not a lot of change. And uh, I'm so I, that that would get my attention. Somebody's talking about some real change that's positive and uh, going forward with hope. How would you define change? <laughs> ah, well, um, I hadn't thought of that. You it's know, interesting I, I, because I, I, you're the person who said you don't, you're not comfortable with the extremes, and I, I hear where you're, where you're at with that, and uh, so you're talking about change. And the person who asked you the question for those listeners who, who can't recognize voices, Tim Wilson, who seems to be a little bit what you have in common as a Bernie Sanders supporter and then a Green Party person with the Trump campaign, is the people who were sort of the outsiders in the political process during this. So those people, I think, on the outsides did both see themselves, in both camps, see themselves as change agents, whereas um, I think more the moderate Republicans and the Hillary Clinton camp saw themselves as being, were seen as being more like the status quo. Yeah, well, no, I'm not for status quo. I'm for change that can take place. For example, you know, I love the platform of the... uh, of the Green Party, but I, you know, I think that's not going to be come into fruition for 15, 20 years, and I'm I won't be around then probably, or maybe I will, but you know, I want I want to do some immediate things, and and some so of the so a Green Party person coming to you to have a conversation to try to uh, convert you into uh, voting green would be not productive because. You wouldn't fight with them, but at the same time, you wouldn't take that on because you don't think it's a practical kind of... Yeah, uh, right. I mean, I love the values. I think it's great. I'd love to see Jill Stein as president in 12 years or 16 uh, years. She's 60. Well, wh- whatever. I, uh, well, I don't um, think 12 years. <laughs> no, you really only get so many chances. Yeah, Kenny. I know. It, the I thing know. you can do immediately is vote. <laughs> but, but, the value, but, the, but the vote's going nowhere for the for the third parties right now, um, I'm afraid, as I see it. Anyhow, that's another debating issue, I guess. It is. Does it feel like, do you feel like there's opportunity for really big change in four years? I mean, does it seem like things are on a different course or that everything's been, anything's possible now? I think it's too soon to tell, but go ahead. No, Renee, you can finish you Finish your thought. Or did you finish? I'm sorry, okay. I finished. Yeah, I, f- frankly, I... I think uh, Trump is in an amazing position to make some substantial changes. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He got he got this election really so much on his own. I mean, he was bashing the Republicans for more as much of the campaign as he was the Democrats, and uh, so he, you know, he is in a key position. But at the moment, he seems to be uh, backing backing the. Uh, you know the the old conservative uh, Republican approach, where money, big money, runs the show. Well, we have a phone call. Let's go to Lindy in Southwest Harbor. Thanks for calling in, Lindy. Yeah, hi. My my own uh, family or childhood experiences were 
due to uh, the discrimination I felt <coughs> as a being gay as soon as anybody suspected I was different. Uh, I was dropped, excluded, not invited, and that continued for many years. I'm in my 60s, and thank goodness things have changed a lot, no thanks to the Republican Party. But I'd like to hear some of you people who um, want change explain how we could possibly have change when we have an administration uh, that has a madman in the White House. For instance, a couple of weeks ago, Trump laid a wreath on the gravesite of Andrew Jackson, who is responsible for the Trail of Tears, who killed thousands of Native Americans. Um, his immediately going into office and went after the transgenders. I'm going to get those transgenders. The bathrooms changed. Well, that's that's really important thing to do. And his climate change denial, his text. Uh, Rex Tillerson, his CEO from ExxonMobil, having worked for, been the CEO for ExxonMobil, and who's known to have paid scientists to deny climate change. I mean, how do you live with the truth well, of those issues? Yeah, Lindy, we've tr been trying, and several times everybody in this room has tried to bring up one issue or another, and everyone else has been pretty good about not jumping into this specific issue. But have you had... Any what we're trying to talk about today is have you had any success talking with somebody on the other side about these issues who feels differently from you and how, and how is that done? No, because um, uh, I forget which uh, journal the the issue was um, <clears throat> about uh, Trump's discrimination against uh, homosexuals. Right, and, right. We understand yeah, no, the reasons, that, and they're all me, legit reasons no that people have different dif disagreements. No with anybody um, like regarding, uh, uh, you know, coming from where I had been discriminated against and, and, and um, gay marriage being a good thing and other people not agreeing. Do you so. think it's possible for people to, I mean, and it might not be, it might depend from subject to subject, and like we've been saying, how personally close the topic is to you. Um, but I guess there's two questions is one, is it possible to actually have a conversation? Everybody has to decide for themselves as somebody who has a completely different view on something that affects you that personally. And if it's not possible, what are the alternatives? Well, what are the alternatives? Right. Uh, well, for instance, this man that voted against gay marriage because of his religious affiliation. How can you... How can you have an alternative if somebody doesn't believe that I have the right uh, to have a, a, a happy life with a, a partner of the same sex? There's just no coming around to that. Whatever the topic is, though, if you if the country is divided into two different camps, mm -hmm. and that brings us back to what we started out talking about, are we are we doomed to every four years or however many years just having one of these points of view be in charge and uh, reigning over the other side until the other side can come to power and take over, or does there have to be at some point some way of of uh, communicating? I mean, I don't know the answer to this. I'm not yeah. pretending I, I do. I admire you trying to have that discussion, but given the breadth and depth of the racism and homophobia that we're faced with right now, it, it, it's hard for me to conceive 
you know, uh, the people who have voted for Trump coming around to any other side, but okay. don't accept that. But I appreciate your efforts, Amy. Really, yeah, and you're so brilliant. Don't, I don't, always love your commentary. We're going to take one more. Th- thank you, Lindy. Thank you for your call. We're going to take one more quick call, and then if we have time, we'll get a response to that. Um, uh, go ahead, caller. What's your first? Oh, Matt and Franklin, could you have a very quick question or comment? Yeah, just a little a brief thing. We were at a protest. We're Tea Party members. And we walked across there, I walked across the street talking to some people and came to found out that we did have some things in common with Occupy Wall Street people. And the one issue that I remember talking about was auditing the Fed and reining in the big banks. So that's my topic. Great. Great. So you, you're finding some common ground just as people are finding in this room sometimes and the people who are a little bit uh, – Ken wants to make well, a comment. No, I'm just wondering, you know, when you approach them, how, you know, how did it work? Were, were you uh, – was it you easy? walk across the street. Yeah. And what and motivated just, you to do that? I mean, how did it come about? Good question. Well, as we're human beings too as Tea Party members. <laughs> we're just like – like the Occupy Wall Street. Oh. Right, but somebody had to take a first step, and you did. So what motivated you to do that? And that, it seems like it takes a bit of courage to actually do that. Not really. It's just that does it take courage to talk to your neighbor to walk across the street or walk next door? So some, I think some... what we hear a lot in the media is that we're Tea Party members. We're supposed to hate Occupy, and the Occupy members are supposed to hate the Tea Party. That's right. That, that that idea does get reinforced a lot. The stereotypes. Who benefits from that? So something that we've done years ago is actually cut the cable. We, we don't watch broadcast TV in our house anymore because for us, that was unhealthy. See, and I'm well, green. We, this is Tim, and I cut the cable in my house, too. So we have that in common. See, we have a lot of areas of agreement. <laughs> We really do. And yeah. we have, a, thank you very much for your call, Matt, and, and yours as well, Lindy and uh, Jennifer, who called beforehand. We have just about a minute and a half left to the program. I just very, have a quick, very quick thought. A Go quick ahead, quick statement. Renee's. You know, if, if Governor LePage and Troy Jackson can find common ground, the rest of us can too. All right. Well, that gets to be the uh, the final thought on today's program. I appreciate you all again. It it happened again. I always get a headache coming into this, worried that this could be the time that we all end up fighting with each other. Or, well, I don't fight. I, that I'd have to referee. And you all <laughs> you all still manage We're to so communicate feisty. really well. And despite the fact that you know, like Lindy said, these are things that are affecting people's real life. That's why people feel so strongly about them. So completely validating the reason why everybody in this room and the callers all feel really strongly about them and I appreciate everybody being willing to um, to participate in this process. So that's all we have time for today though. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views and culture. I'm Amy Brown. My guests today were Tim Wilson, Ken Gleason, Thomas White and Renee Trust. They are part of our multi-partisan panel who've been joining me here for over a year now and hopefully will again. And uh, John Greenman is our engineer today. We appreciate that as well. You can reach us with uh, suggestions and comments at news at weru.org. Keep it tuned here for Democracy Now! coming up next and then just straight ahead with Larry Stahlberg here on your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at weru.org. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape 
and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org. Support for WERU comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information on federal funding.